Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Catherine Morehouse. The Biden administration officially launched a sweeping new climate rule focused on methane at the U.N. Climate Summit this weekend. Under the Environmental Protection Agency's new regulation, the oil and gas sector could cut methane emissions by 80 percent through 2038. This is a big deal because methane is the second most abundant greenhouse gas after carbon dioxide. It only lingers in the atmosphere for about a decade after it's released, but it has about 80 times the warming power of carbon dioxide. So today, we check in with Politico's Alex Guillen about the ins and outs of Biden's new methane rule, the pushback, and more. It's Tuesday, December 5th. So it's a really extensive rule. It's quite complex, but I think there are really sort of four big takeaways. The first one is it's going to restrict flaring, which is the practice of burning off methane instead of releasing it unburned into the atmosphere. And this happens really, especially at oil wells. Methane is sometimes a side effect of withdrawing oil from the ground. And often a lot of times it's just burned off at the wellhead instead of being collected or otherwise used, which is better for the climate to burn it off, but it's even better to collect it and and use it in a productive way. So it's going to require that companies stop most flaring. It also increases the leak detection and repair schedule for companies. So they're going to have to inspect regularly wellheads and storage sites and other types of infrastructure in the production section. Once they find leaks, they have to repair them. So that's a big part of this rule. The third part is it requires operators to swap out certain equipment that runs on natural gas and then leaks it into the atmosphere for zero emissions options. So for a lot of well sites, that could be something electric. For sites that don't have electric access, there are compressed air options. So companies are going to have to swap out a lot of their controllers and other equipment. And then the fourth sort of interesting segment here is what EPA is calling the Super Emitter Reduction Program. And this is because there are sort of a handful of sites and incidents where equipment malfunctions and releases a lot of methane into the air over a period. And those incidents are relatively few in number, but make up a significant portion of methane emissions from the sector. So EPA has this thing where third parties like environmental groups can use aerial monitoring or satellite images to detect these super emitter events. They then alert EPA and EPA then goes to the operators and says, we think there's an issue here. We need you to fix it. Those are the four main parts of the rule. And uh, they do represent a pretty sweeping new regulatory scheme for the oil and gas sector. So could you lay out kind of the balance of costs and benefits that the EPA is expecting from this rule? So the rule does come with average annual compliance costs of about $2.5 billion, but that's offset by a number of benefits, the really big one being climate benefits from the methane not being released into the air anymore. There are also health-related benefits because in addition to reducing methane, this rule will also save quite a lot of other pollutants that are coming from these sources, including what are called volatile organic compounds and hazardous air pollutants. So There's a lot of health benefits that come with that. And then also on the benefits side in this rule, somewhat unusually, is the value of the gas that's going to be collected and then can be sold to be burned in gas plants or used for some other reason. EPA calculated that and said 
the saved gas will be worth almost a billion dollars a year to oil and gas companies. So overall, EPA is saying there will be annual average net benefits of about $7.6 billion. Interesting. And we know that this rule has been long anticipated by the fossil fuel industry, as well as environmental and public health advocates. It seems like the advocates are happy with the rule overall. And I'm wondering if you can lay out kind of industry's reaction to this rule. Yeah, we're sort of in this unusual space where major producers, the major oil and gas producers, are sort of backing EPA's authority here because this is something that they're already working on. And they have the benefit of scalability to help with the cost for them. Smaller independent producers are somewhat more opposed to it. But everyone's taking a look at the details of this rule. This is a a very long and very highly technical rule. So what we're seeing from the oil and gas group so far is sort of a, we need to read this and then we'll react. But overall, we do know just initially that EPA made some moves toward the industry after the comment period. One of the big ones was that they changed how the supermitter program works so that the clock starts ticking once EPA alerts the producers, not when, under the original proposal, not when the third parties alert the producers. The companies argue that'll help them cut down on sort of potential wild goose chases because EPA will be sort of pre-vetting these complaints. And there were some other details that moved in the industry's favor as well. So they're looking into a lot of these details before they come out in support. But, you know, at worst, this is probably a mixed bag for industry. So we'll see how it shakes out. But overall, this isn't a rule that they're fighting tooth and nail. Okay, so it sounds like relatively solid support from the oil and gas industry, you know, given this is a rule regulating their emissions. But we still expect this rule to face pushback from Republican states and, as you mentioned, a few other industry groups. So what is the kind of thing that we can expect from these legal challenges? Yeah, we're definitely going to see lawsuits from red states. Some of them have already been explicitly threatening this. Certainly, we could see some challenges from industry groups. I don't know yet. Whether there will be an industry group that tries to make sort of a broad legal attack or if we might be looking at more targeted technical lawsuits that raise issues with specific provisions. But I think what we can expect to see is going to be, especially from the Republican states, I would imagine they're going to argue this is a significant overstep from EPA in expanding regulations to cover these sources, that it's largely unnecessary because they already have controls for these other pollutants that capture methane. Obviously, this rule goes further than those rules since it's now being applied to existing sources, which is new, but that'll be the direction we go in. I don't know how much purchase that might find in the courts. One sort of unusual area here is that one of the reasons EPA has authority here is because, and bear with me, but the Obama administration issued a rule for new sources. The Trump administration rescinded that rule. And then once Biden was elected and Democrats controlled Congress, The Democrats used the Congressional Review Act to nullify the Trump era rescission, which restored the Obama era new source rule. So there's sort of a congressional approval of that rule here. And under the Clean Air Act, whenever EPA regulates new sources, they do have to regulate existing ones eventually as well. So there is some legal precedent here that could support EPA's broad authority. But I certainly expect to see challenges to that anyway. Also... The methane rule wasn't the only thing the U.S. announced over the weekend at COP28. President Joe Biden's climate envoy, John Kerry, and two major philanthropies announced a new framework to assist countries that want to transition away from fossil fuels. The Energy Transition Accelerator Program, 
would offer carbon credits to companies that pay into a system intended to ease the costs of shifting to clean energy for lower-income countries. Nations interested in the program could potentially secure billions of dollars in financing, but some activists remain skeptical that the program will have a meaningful impact on climate. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com power switch and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And that's our show. I'm Catherine Morehouse, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Today's program support is provided by Chevron. Progress means producing renewable fuels for today's fleets. Chevron intends to grow their renewable fuels production capacity to 100,000 barrels per day by 2030. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash renewable fuels.